0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, President of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today I want to welcome Dr. Jim Shaddix to the podcast. Dr. Shaddix serves as Professor of Preaching at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, occupying the W.A. Criswell Chair of Expository Preaching. Dr. Shaddix, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Dr. Allen, thank you very much. Delighted to be here.
0: Yeah, today we're going to be talking about the topic, Power in the Pulpit, and uh, really unpack this book and uh, a part of a, a two-book series, and look forward to that conversation. Before we get into that, though, perhaps give us a word of update on you and your ministry at Southeastern, and just kind of what God's doing in your life, this stage of life in ministry.
1: Well, thank you again uh, you know, for asking. This is uh, a really uh, wonderful season uh, for both uh, my wife and I, I'm just uh, thoroughly enjoying Uh, Being here in in White Forest and uh, living close to the campus where we can, you know, just engage students uh, offline as well as online, uh, it's one of the things that we enjoy doing. So we're loving that. I've got, uh, uh, you know, some new responsibilities that really began in August, Uh, began to serve as the director of our Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership, and it's just a you know, initiatives to help resource pastors and uh, promote biblical preaching as well as uh, you know, biblical pastoring. Uh, and, uh, so we're very excited about that. It certainly has uh, made uh, my head spin a little bit faster, you know, with uh, additional responsibility. But uh, glad to have the opportunity, grateful for the trust that our administration has put in me. And I've also just recently begun serving as an interim pastor. It's something I thoroughly enjoy doing. I've done a number of those, but uh, I'll get to preach to the great folks at First Baptist Church Charlotte here in North Carolina.
0: Good for you. Hey, listen, also while we're here on the front porch talking, uh, the broad contours of your ministry, both uh, local church and institutional settings, if you could just briefly sketch that out for us.
1: So, yes, sir, I've had the opportunity to... uh, Senior pastor of four churches. Uh, you know, I've the primary calling on my life, you know, it began years ago, and God called me to preach, and uh, had the privilege of that playing out and uh, serving as a senior pastor uh, to uh, four congregations, uh, beginning with a church plant in Texas, uh, started First Church, didn't set out to be a planter, but kind of stumbled into it, and uh, pastored that church for eight and a half years. And, then went to New Orleans Seminary to go back to school. Uh, the last three years I was there, I served on the faculty there for 11 years. last three years I was there, pastor in an inner city church uh, for about three years. Um, and um, and then went from there to serve as senior pastor of Denver, at uh, Riverside Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. I uh, was there for almost eight years uh, before uh, coming to uh, you know, Southeastern Seminary. The, the one that kind of overlaps, uh, you know, there is when I went to New Orleans. I I pastored for a very brief time, uh, only for about 18 months in a rural church in Mississippi. And the reason that came to a close was New Orleans asked me to teach, and that's why I was going back to school. So. So the just an easy transition to that. So uh, as far as academically, I did serve uh, as a professor of preaching and dean of the chapel at the New Orleans Seminary. I was there for 11 years, and, and I've been on the faculty here at Southeastern for uh, uh, almost seven years now.
0: Wonderful. Well, listen, we're talking today about Power in the Pulpit. And give us a bit of a of a history of this book project and how that originated many years ago in its first iteration with Jerry Vines, and uh, yeah, orient us to this work.
1: Uh, you know, Dr. Vines had written two books uh, on preaching back in the '80s, uh, one on preparation, one on delivery. When I went to uh, when I went to, to New Orleans Seminary and started teaching. Uh, I I wanted two things in the textbook. Uh, one was I wanted a book on uh, the championed exposition, and two I wanted a textbook that was written from a pastoral perspective. There there was a handful of books uh, you know out there, uh, but not a lot written from you know the perspective of a guy that was doing it week in and week out, and that's why I gravitated to Dr. Vine's books. Uh, because, you know, they, they were, uh, you know, uh, books on expository preaching and they were written by a guy who was doing it. And so I started using them uh, one year at the Pastors Conference. I had never met Dr. Vines, but I just mentioned to him uh, at meeting him after one of the sessions at the Jacksonville Pastors Conference that I was using his books. And he just made the comment, you know, that uh, uh, those books need to be updated. And when I got home, I wrote him a letter, and you know, and just said, uh, hey, if you ever need some help with that project i'd be happy to help and it was kind of a you know thanks but no thanks kind of deal because he didn't know me from adam but you know i think uh within the next year uh you know he he uh came to to you know we, we got to know each other he came back and you know said he wasn't going to have time to do it asked me if i would still be interested in doing it so i was glad to do uh we made the proposal moody press came back and great idea and they said let's put the two books together so we got you know a book on preaching and uh, on preparation and, and on delivery we bring those two together dr. Vines gave me the freedom to uh, reorganize this stuff up to update it and then add my stuff to it and so uh, that's kind of the first version of power in the pulpit um, you know it was released in 99 and then we just updated it and revised it to uh, uh, made you know I think some uh, hopefully helpful changes uh, this last summer it came out two thousand and seventeen
0: so. wonderful well they're you know just incredible resources, and you and Dr. Vines have influenced so many different preachers in positive and substantial ways so we're talking today about power in the pulpit, and of course deriving this from the book power in the pulpit, and you 've oriented us to the book. And I just want to get into it and ask you some questions about power in the pulpit. Uh, I don't know of a preacher alive who desires not to be powerful in the pulpit. Uh, when I meet that preacher, I'll encourage him to not be in the ministry or, or to awaken to uh, the gravity and responsibility of preaching. Uh, by power in the pulpit, of course, we, we mean more than one's you know, personal charisma or loud voice or one's ability to communicate. We're talking about preaching and the power of the Word of God and bringing that Word of God to bear in a powerful way. So, with that, by way of front porch, let me just, uh, let me engage you. You talk about the call to preach as a call to prepare. And uh, that's essential to being, to demonstrating power in the pulpit. So, question, can a preacher expect to have power in the pulpit if he doesn't take sermon preparation seriously?
1: Dr. Allen, I don't think a preacher can expect to have power if he doesn't take his preparation seriously because... The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us power, is the one who inspired uh, the the text of Scripture. And so uh, I think we're compelled if we want to tap into uh, the power of the Spirit and have Him attend to our preaching to take what He says seriously. And because, uh, you know, the the text of Scripture has been covered up by different layers over time, uh, since the time that it was inspired and and actually uh, inscripturated, I think the responsibility to prepare it just increases. We we just have a uh, you know the the need to to go in and and you know to study all of the areas that would go into a right hermeneutic as well as a you know a right. Uh, uh, you know, approach to putting, you know, what we study in the form that we can communicate it to people. So uh, there's no room for lazy preachers, uh, you know, I think in, in the kingdom. Uh, so uh, I think we're, you know, our, our view of you know, the spirit, the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture, the supernatural nature compels us to give ourselves to find out what the spirit is saying given text description.
0: So, with that in mind, what type of preparation uh, is necessary for powerful exposition?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think that um, God gives grace you know, for various situations, so uh, I know that everybody doesn't have the opportunity to do formal education by way of preparation, but I think any Brother, that that has access you know, to formal education ought to to make that part of his you know his pepper preparation, and that's just the opportunity to put more tools in our toolbox, you know, to be able to engage this this process. In so I think formal education can be a big part of that. Do I believe that a preacher has that formal education to be a powerful preacher? Uh, no, I. That's where I I think God fills in some of the gaps in our lives, depending upon circumstances. Now, I think as far as regular weekly preparation or preparation, you know, in the ministry, uh, uh, I think, you know, what goes into that uh, begins uh, on our knees. It begins in our prayer lives with a recognition that it doesn't matter how well we exegete the passage of Scripture, it doesn't matter how well we, we you know, put an outline together or find illustrations. If the Spirit doesn't attend to um, our preaching, then we're still going to be preaching deadness, as Ian Bounds talks about. Um, and so I think one of the things that goes into, you know, preparation you know, for the preacher is, is just the spiritual element of of Engaging the Holy Spirit you know just from a the standpoint of what is variously referred to as the anointing and the or the filling of the spirit, the unction um, but the other you know another aspect of that that's still again is, is us you know tapping into the power of God through the Spirit is interpreting the text of scripture rightly, like, so I think one of the things that goes into preparation is us having a a right lens, a right hermeneutic uh, you know, approach to studying the text, interpreting the text, uh, finding out what the spirit was saying in any given passage of scripture, uh, and then I think because the preaching event is is a, you know is a you know, is a public uh, speaking exercise, another part of you know of our preparation uh, is uh, you know learning how to present God's Word uh, in, a, in an undistracting way. I, I don't think our, our preparation is to make ourselves more polished orators. I think it's learning how not to be a hindrance to the power of the Word in the way that we deliver it. And So I think part of our pre- preparation is, you know, is, is giving attention to how we present you know, the, the Word, how we say things, how uh, we engage our audience, understanding our audience you know, to, uh, you know, to a certain degree so that we can present God's Word um, in a way that nothing we do as the human instrument rises above um, uh, the, uh, the, the mystery of the gospel the message that we give.
0: So let me tease that out just for a moment. Again, you're talking about preparation and and really two different aspects of that. One is the preparation of the minister, where you think of formal theological education in a seminary context, but really that type of training that would take place before, most often before entering into full-time vocational ministry, most often on the front end of, of let's say, one's first pastorate. Then you talk secondarily really about kind of week-to-week preparation, preparing the sermon itself. And I want to play devil's advocate for a moment, uh, what do you say to someone that would say, well, look, Martin Lloyd Jones never went to seminary. Charles Spurgeon never went to seminary. God obviously used them, though they did not have formal ministry preparation. What's your response to that?
1: Uh, you know, my response is, is just would go back to an issue of stewardship. Um, I, I don't think any of us could speak for the particular circumstances. Each one of those guys has, you know, a, a journey, a testimony, a story um, of you know, reasons why they didn't, you know, didn't go to school. Um, and, and obviously, those, you know, some of those men are testimonies to the fact that if all things are equal, no, uh, you know, formal education is not required, you know, for being a powerful preacher, but all things are not equal. Uh, I think some of this goes back to uh, just the number of tools, you know, that we have, and you know, we put in our toolbox. You um, know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that you know probably will you know will stir uh, you know some maybe some disagreement in some, but I've, it's, it's really something you can't argue with. and That is that you know nobody will ever know how much better Charles Spurgeon could have been or Lloyd Jones could have been had he had formal education. And now that's not a point to argue to say, oh they should have gone you know, to school, just saying it's just something that we'll, we'll never go simply because I think the issue is tools in our toolbox. It's not a matter of you've got to have it to do this. I think it's a matter of, you know, of what we bring, you know, to the table. I I like to work with my hands. I've got some power tools and stuff, but you know, my ability to do certain things depends upon the, the tools that I have. Uh, I can be effective with the tools that I have in some things, but maybe there's some other areas that I'm you know, not. And I just believe in the, you know, the stewardship that we have. That if we have the opportunity and the access to put, uh, you know, as many tools in our toolboxes as we possibly can, I, I think I think we should do that. Uh, so. Uh, I'd, uh, you know, I, I know that some guys are not able to, and I think, you know, if God is uh, a husband to the widow and a father to the fatherless, uh, I think he's the divine gap filler, and he He fills up gaps this world leaves in our lives. For some guys, that gap may be the, you know, the lack of the opportunity or access to formal education that, he, you know, he doesn't have, we have brothers overseas, you know, in, in you know remote parts of, you know, third world countries that are, they're preaching the gospel faithfully with everything that they have, but they don't have access to, you know, formal education. I think God becomes the divine gap filler, is the divine gap filler for them in, in providing grace to make up for that. But I think a guy that's you know, has the opportunity and just says, no, I could do it without that. I'm going to do it on my own. So you know, that's, that's going to, you know, it's going to hold me back. I I I think there's going to be limitations.
0: Well said, and, and I think you're right that the key word there is stewardship. And uh, everyone's from a different context, different uh, uh, levels of accessibility and so forth but uh, to to, to better steward, to best steward and leverage our own lives uh, to best serve the church is essential. Dr. Shaddix, let's pause just for a moment for a word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu mdiv today. All right, I'm back with Dr. Shaddix talking about power in the pulpit. So when you're talking about power in the pulpit, uh, you, through your own presentations, including the book, have talked about in three different realms. The first is the preparation for exposition. Uh, the second realm is the process of exposition. So let me ask, what is the typical process you go through as you prepare your sermons?
1: Interesting you ask that. I was just actually talking about that in class uh, you know, to, today because the uh, you know, I know students sometimes get frustrated for a professor lectures on the same thing that, you know, he had them read in the book. Well, The problem, you know, for me, came is because Dr. Vines years ago gave me the, the opportunity to add my stuff to his and rearrange everything, basically he let me shape. Uh, you know the the process that you know really was kind of a middle ground of coming together of his process and mind. So I say all that to say that you know the the process in in power in the pulpit really is very personal to me. Uh, I was I was teaching much of that process before the book was written, you know, years ago. And so what is there reflects uh, you know a lot of. Of exactly what I do. Now I think that you know, in power of the pulpit, just like any homiletics textbook, you know, we we overanalyze the process because we want to we want to blow it up, we want to expand it, so that we make sure we understand every you know every part of it. But uh, for me, uh, you know, my my process, my personal process, would you know include. Once I've identified a passage of scripture, and certainly that's a you know a whole discussion on how we get you know to that place, but you know would be to really spend time uh, just finding out what the text says, uh, with uh, you know looking at background of you know the the book I'm studying, um, looking at uh, you know issues of. Uh, observations. I like to take a piece of paper and you know put a text on it and triple space it and then just mark all over it. Just, just spend time, you know, just marking it up, looking, you know, for what what I see on the surface. And uh, sometimes those things are confirmed, those having bearing on the meaning of the text. Other times they're, you know, they're things that just, you know, get set aside. Um, I think reading, rereading, meditating on the text of Scripture, um, you know, is a, is a really, really important part of, you know, of, um, uh, you know, of, of just seeing what the text says. And so that's a place, you know, Dr. Allen, where I I try to hold myself accountable because it doesn't come naturally, but for, you know, really seeking to meet God in the text and not rush too quickly to the more academic parts of preparation, but to pray the text of Scripture and to spend time praying, uh, you know, for the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, in the whole process, and just kind of letting those things, uh, you know, go over and over and over, you know, in my mind. You know, and I've moved to, um, uh, you know, pulling in other resources, um, you know, things that I want to do is is look at the structure of the text and see if there's things there that uh, communicate meaning. uh, Also, even though I don't want to get too far ahead, uh, that may even provide an outline, a structure, when I do get to the point of developing it. So kind of laying the the structure out, uh, the, the text out, depending upon the literary genre Seeing what the you know the structure of it is and the development of it is um, chasing down cross references related to the text, uh, and, you know, it, and then you know in, in that process I think there is the involvement of commentaries, uh, choosing good commentaries. Uh, basically, I think is is like inviting um, you know wise counselors. And, into the study to speak into our lives. Uh, I think we have to approach them the same way we approach every you know every other part of the prep process, and that is to not just look at one resource, but to uh, you know to look at where the weight of the evidence lies. Where are the majority of you know guys that have studied this book of the Bible their entire life, you know, where where is where do the majority of them see you know certain things and you know passage of scripture. So uh all of that, you know, of course is you know part of, you know, the, the exegetical process, the Bible study process, of really finding out what the Holy Spirit is uh you know is saying in a particular passage of scripture. So those are those are some of the things that are part of, of the, the Bible study process for me. Uh once I get through with that uh, you know, I've, if, if there is not an organizational development that has surfaced by that time, sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. But when there's not, I need to spend some time really getting a framework, getting to think about how is the best way for me to explain this text and to take people on a journey through the passage of Scripture uh, where they can get to the main idea, you know, of the passage uh, the, you know the text of scripture uh, and and you know and that's one thing I think uh, you know I just as a side note I think is uh, uh, some preachers you know really get sidetracked on just thinking the primary issue of a sermon outline is memory uh, just you know, something that people can remember and well, you know, that that's great, you know, people being able to... I don't think that's the primary goal of an outline. I think the primary goal is is to, you know, to let people engage the text of Scripture, and so that outline becomes much like the directions of the voice on the GPS. It's telling you to go 500 feet and take a right, you know, you're wanting to... Take people on a journey through the text to where they can hear the voice of God, get to that bottom line, that main reason why this text, the scriptures in the Bible, and then you know illustrations and applications. Just thinking about, you know, is there aspects of the text that you know that need to be connected through illustrations, or could be helped with that, and then how do we establish the relevancy and? The you know, in people's hearts and minds with regard to, you know, the uh, the truth of that text.
0: Listen, Dr. Shaddix, this has been so helpful, but my goodness, we've run out of time here. Let me just try to pull this together by asking you to touch on briefly uh, the the third category, uh, the third theme for you. You talk about the process of exposition, the preparation for exposition, the process of exposition, and then thirdly, the presentation of exposition. Perhaps you could just give a a bullet point or two of words of advice, of counsel for men as they would actually preach uh, the presentation of the sermon itself.
1: Well, one of the things that I would say is, you know, if you get a chance to read this book, read Dr. Bynes's chapter, that probably the part of Power in the Pulpit that I touched the least was his voice, uh, his chapter on voice. Um, And that That's something that grew out of his personal experience and is something that is huge for preachers in protecting their voice so you know that that is one thing that I would say you know uh, another thing, Dr. Allen that I would say is just that, uh again it's you know going back to something i I referred to earlier, I think the the biggest issue in looking at issues of delivery. Uh, is not how do we do things, gestures, you know, facial expressions, body movements, all that, to make the Word more powerful or to make our preaching more powerful. We can't do that. The Word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. But what we can do as human beings, as stewards, is we can do things that are distracting to the Word, that turn people's attention away from it or get them sidetracked on something. And so I think, you know, the biggest thing that I I would say, well, the two things it would be that one, you know, is that, you know, you, we give attention to delivery so that we're not distracting. The last thing I would say is um, we we have a responsibility in our presentation the word to always call for a verdict. I'm very concerned about this and preaching today. Uh, that we're giving a lot of information, even a lot of good exposition, uh, but not calling on people to uh, decide for the truth of God's Word. Whether it is the the gospel from the standpoint of salvation or whether it is some aspect of the crucified life, I think in the presentation, uh, you know, preachers need to really be intentional about calling on people to act. That may or may not be a physical expression like an altar call, but we still have the responsibility to call for a verdict.
0: Well said, and I fully agree. Well, Dr. Shaddix, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. It's been a delight having you on uh, on the program today, and may God's blessing be yours, and uh, on you and your family and all that he's entrusted to you. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.